Welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Today we welcome back our Senior Minister, Tim Healy. But before we get into that, please take a second to subscribe to our podcast. Here's today's message from Tim Healy. Well, fantastic. What a wonderful time of worship together. And uh, I'm so thankful for the truth and the reality of everything we've just sung. I'm so thankful for the truth and the reality of God's presence with us in this moment. And I hope that you're sensing His presence there as well. So thank you so much, team, uh, for the leadership this morning and for guiding us into the presence of God. And uh, thank you, Liesl and Ryan and John, for the wonderful update on life in Rwanda. Always so good to hear from our dear friends in that part of the world and good to be reminded of what God is doing there. And of course, a big good day to all of you. Great to have you with us today, uh, wherever you're joining us from, whether you're here in Perth or somewhere else in the nation or on the other side of the world. We're delighted to have you with us and I hope you're having a great time and enjoying being connected with us in this space. Now, of course, today is the last Sunday in June. Can you believe it, right? And uh, we're just a couple of days away from the end of our REACH campaign. Uh, If you've just joined us or you're new to Riverview, REACH is the month-long annual initiative that we run through the month of June, during which we call everybody who calls Riverview home to rise up, step up, step out and give over and above their regular giving into the life of our church, uh, a one-off free will love offering that goes entirely toward our Riverview Trust, which is the entity through which we then uh, fund and finance all the ministries and activities and projects that flow from this faith community out into our city, into our community, across the oceans, into other parts of the world, and to our project partners on the ground in various countries in the developing world. And ordinarily on this weekend, which is a very significant weekend for us in the life of our church. We would have a big celebration right here in the Burswood Auditorium and up at our Junilup campus in the north. And at the end of that celebration, you know, people would come streaming down the aisles and they'd come down to the front and they'd put their reach offering into the collection buckets down on the stage. We would have this big celebratory moment of generosity and it's always a highlight on the calendar. I love it. But of course, for obvious reasons, we can't do that this year. But I love the fact that even though we cannot yet gather together in the same location, we can still pull in the same direction. We can still unite our energies and our efforts and our faith and our resource, and we can do what we as the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ are called to do, and that is selflessly and sacrificially give of all that we are and all that we have to love and serve the people of the world who are the most vulnerable and the most marginalized and the most oppressed and the most needy. And we can do that by living and giving generously. And so giving is what we will do today. But before you rush off to the online giving page, I wanna take a moment to encourage you from out of the Word of God. And I have a particular passage on my heart that I wanna share with us today. It's found in the New Testament and it is an exhortation from the Apostle Paul given to uh, one of his young protégés in the faith, a young pastor by the name of Timothy, who happened to be pastoring a church in Ephesus in the first century. And this exhortation is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. So if you're following along in your Bible or you've got it on your phone, head to 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19. The Scriptures will come up on the screen. So Paul starts out and he says, Command those who are rich in this world. Command those who are rich in this world. And I wanna hit pause there for a moment and just interject this thought because I love the way Paul begins his exhortation. He says, Command those 
who are rich. He doesn't say, uh, suggest to those who are rich that they might want to consider contemplating what I'm about to say. Uh, He doesn't say, politely invite those who are rich to consider participating in something that might be quite satisfying and fulfilling. He says, command those who are rich in this world to give attention to what I am about to say. And the reason I love that is because it is filled with strength. I love the strength of what Paul is saying there. And really, at the end of the day, what we need to um, understand and, and come to terms with as followers of Jesus is that a big part of following Jesus is learning to submit to His authority and obey His commands, right? Following Jesus is not just about emulating His example. Following Jesus is not just about adopting some of His teaching. To follow Jesus means to submit to His authority and to obey His commands. And the reason why that is so important to understand is because what Paul is doing here is addressing the very heart of the human problem, the thing that got us into trouble in the first place, and that is our desire for independence and autonomy. As human beings, we just naturally want to do our own thing. We want to go our own way. We want to chart our own course, write our own story, make our own rules. We want to be free agents. You just have to go back to the first few chapters of Genesis and you'll discover that is exactly where it all went wrong. That is why the world is a mess today because we have this natural drive to be independent. We don't wanna be under anyone's authority. We don't wanna be under anyone's control or instruction. And that is precisely why Paul is instructing us here to, to, to submit to the authority given to him in his apostolic capacity by the Lord Jesus Himself. And so he says to Timothy, don't suggest, don't recommend, don't hint. He says, command, command those who are rich in this present world to give attention to what I'm about to say. Now, and I can almost hear what some of you were thinking right now because you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, Tim, that's all good and well, but this is clearly an instruction to those who are rich in this present world. And that is not me because I don't fall into that category. Right? That, is, that is not my vibe and not my tribe. So wake me up when you get to the part about the struggling middle class, right? Because that's me, right? Now, that may be true, right? But you know as well as I do that wealth is relative, okay? So all of us are relatively poor compared to some people and all of us are relatively wealthy compared to others. All depends on the benchmark that you set when you make the comparison. And the truth of the matter is, even if you are amongst the struggling middle class, In relation to 97% of the world's population, you are still infinitely better off than everybody else because of where you live and what you have access to. The fact of the matter is we live in one of the most livable cities on earth. We live in a, a, a nation and a state and a city that is one of the most peaceful and prosperous on the planet. We have access to uh, infrastructure, public uh, facility, government subsidy that is unparalleled anywhere else in the world except in other highly developed first world nations. So even if you are unemployed, which you are not, Josh, but even if you are unemployed and, and on job seeker or partly employed and on job keeper, you are still infinitely better off than the vast majority of the world's population. If you have a superannuation account, if you have any equity in your property, if you own two cars, you are in the top 2% of the world's population on earth. So it is not a stretch of the imagination by any means to say that when Paul gives this instruction to those who are rich in this world, he is talking to you and he is talking to me. So what exactly is he commanding those who are rich in this world to do? Well, there are two very specific 
commands that he gives to those who fit that category. And this is what they are. He says, command those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all that we need. Not all that we want, or all that we desire, or all that we covet, or all that we Google. He richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, he says, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasures as a good foundation for the life to come. So in these words, Paul is giving us two very specific and very clear instructions. And the first is this, he's encouraging us to put our trust in a good God. Put your trust in a good God. In verse 17, he says, command those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. He says, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And the reason why Paul is commanding us here to put our trust in God is because it is God who is our source. It is not your job, it is not your income, it is not your employer, it is not your investment portfolio, it is not your superannuation, it is not your asset uh, or your balance sheet. God is your source. And if you put your faith or your trust or your hope in any of those other things, then you are anchoring your hope to a very unstable and very unsure, unsecure future. Because ultimately those things can and will be shaken. If anything, this current season we are in has taught us is that what Paul is saying here is true. Your wealth and your material possession are an unreliable source of hope and confidence. So where does your hope lie? Where does your confidence lie? This is a really important question, I believe, for all of us to be asking in this season. Where exactly have we anchored our hope? Our hope for the future, our hope for the rest of this year. Where does that lie? Have you put your hope in the government continuing its subsidy programs? Have you put your hope in a vaccine being found? Have you put your hope in the borders being opened or the restrictions being released or the economy being revived? Because if you've put your hope in those things for the rest of this year or for your future, you have anchored your hope to a very unstable and uncertain foundation. We have got to anchor our hope and our trust and our faith to God who is immovable, unchangeable, immutable, regardless of whether or not any of those other things happen. We have got to put our faith, our trust, our confidence in God because He is not subject to the ebbs and the flows of economic reality. He is not subject to the constraints and the limitations of monetary policy set by the Reserve Bank. He is not in any way bound by the decisions that our governments make or don't make, right? God who is able to rain bread down from heaven, God who is able to turn water into wine, God who is able and will meet all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. That is the God we should put our faith and our trust in. And if ever there was a time that we needed to be reminded of this command. It is right now. Put your trust in a good God. Put your trust in a good God. And then Paul goes on to say, in addition to that, that we are to put our money to good use. 
So firstly, put your trust in a good God. And then he says, secondly, Timothy, tell them to put their money to good use. So in verse 18 of 1 Timothy 6, he says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. As you know, for the past four weeks now, We've been talking about the call of God on our lives as the church, as followers of Jesus, to live out love in Jesus' name. Because after all, that is what Jesus has called us to do, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbours as ourselves. And when it comes to answering that call to live out love in Jesus' name, there's so many things we have at our disposal. We can use our time. We can use our energy. We can use our talent. We can use our skill, we can use our experience, we can use our material resource, we can use our homes, we can use our words, uh, we can use our affection and our attention. There is so much that we can use to live out love in Jesus' name. But here Paul is quite explicitly and specifically saying, tell them to use their money to do good. Use your money to do good. Here's a truth that will set you free. Money is a very poor master but a very powerful servant. And money must be made to serve. If you do not make money serve, you will let money rule. And if money rules your heart and money rules your home, you, like Paul said, are gonna pierce yourself through with many sorrows and you are gonna find your heart captivated by fear and worry and anxiety and greed and doubt and you are gonna be miserable. So money must be made to serve and money must be made to serve the purposes of God by using it to do good. Okay, wealth is not a bad thing as long as it's used for a good thing. And a big part of the reason why God wants us to use our money to do good is because there is a significant and powerful connection between generosity and justice. I have been staggered as I've studied what the Bible has to say about justice, how many times the Bible calls for generosity as the key to unlocking the prison doors of injustice. There is an inseparable connection between our generosity and the outworking of justice. Um, Justice is at the very centre of the heart of God and at the very centre of the kingdom of God and consequently at the very leading edge of our mission as the church of God. And injustice is all around us. Uh, You know, just this week, I had a a little reminder pop up in my Facebook uh, feed, uh, a a memory from a a trip that I made a year ago to Cambodia. And we went over uh, together with Amanda Rowe and myself uh, to go and visit uh, some of our project partners on the ground in Cambodia and to spend some time uh, meeting the team and uh, investigating some new projects in the pipeline. And I remember on one particular day, we, we went to a slum in a certain section of the city and we walked across this bridge that went over a, an open sewer uh, onto basically an island in the middle of, of the city that was just surrounded by water that was used as an open sewer. And, and so people were living on the edge of this open sewer And we went in there to meet some of the locals and to investigate um, a new project that was beginning in the middle of the slum. And as we were talking to people and getting a sense of the need, uh, we met a man there 
And uh, this man was working on some, some wood products. He was creating these beautiful, ornate, um, elaborate um, vases and um, wall hangings that he was carving by hand. And uh, every single one of these pieces of art would take him days, I mean, sometimes weeks to complete because they were enormous. And then he would uh, sell them on to dealers who would sell them on to wholesalers and to re- retailers and, and, and to overseas buyers at five, six, seven hundred times the price of what he was paid to make them. And here was this man living in poverty, in, in, uh, in degradation, uh, in this overwhelming environment filled with toxicity and pollution and filth, uh, in a tin shack that would have fitted 20 times onto our stage. It was so small. And he was gifted, he was talented, he was able, but he wasn't rewarded for that talent because he didn't have the access, he didn't have the education, he didn't have the facility, he didn't have the opportunity that those dealers and wholesalers and retailers and end line consumers had. And that, friends, is injustice. And that reality is replicated countless times all across the face of our planet and it breaks the heart of God. That injustice is so prevalent and God is calling us as the church, as His kingdom representatives on earth to stand up for those who find themselves uh, oppressed and afflicted and harassed by that prevailing injustice. You know, very often when we talk about justice, our minds automatically gravitate you know, to what the law does for those who are wicked and, and, and wayward and rebellious and, and lawless. Um, you know, if you want a, a simple definition of what justice is, it's really people getting what they deserve. It might be a slight oversimplification, but that is essentially what justice is. It's people getting what they deserve. And we almost always think of justice as what the Lord does for the wicked and the wayward and the lawless and the rebellious. It gives them what they deserve which is often punishment or correction or infringement or incarceration or rehabilitation. But the truth of the matter is justice is also about the poor and the marginalised and the oppressed and the afflicted getting what they deserve. And what they deserve is opportunity and equality and fairness and freedom. So yes, law is an administrator of justice, but so is love. Law administrates justice by shutting the door on the wicked and the wayward and the lawless and the rebellious. But love administrates justice by opening the door for the oppressed and the marginalised and the poor and the vulnerable. And it is this latter group that the heart of God breaks for and that Jesus Himself was so concerned about. And as followers of Jesus, we should be too. And that's why when you search the Scriptures, you find dozens of references in both Old and New Testament to this appeal by God for His people to practice justice. Zechariah 7 verse 10 to 11 says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. When you show kindness to the poor, you honour God. When you overlook the poor, you dishonour God. God has so closely identified Himself with the poor that when you love them, you love Him. And when you ignore them, you ignore Him. Micah 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, mortal man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. 
You know, Tim Keller, who's one of my uh, favourite church leaders and thinkers and speakers, in his brilliant book, Generous Justice, makes a point uh, in relation to Micah 6 verse 8. He says, you know what, when we read Micah 6 verse 8 as Western thinkers and as Western believers, we often see that as three separate things that God's calling us to do. Love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly with God, as though there were like three points in a sermon. But he says, in reality, they're actually one cohesive thought. And when you factor in all the syntactical and grammatical and semantic implications of the original Hebrew, a better way to translate it is like this. To walk with God then, we must do justice out of merciful love. Oh, I love that. Do you see the difference? To walk with God then, we must do justice out of merciful love. You want to walk with God? You want to experience His presence? You want to know intimacy with our Father? Then do justice out of merciful love. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Here the psalmist is telling us something very important about justice. And that is that justice is foundational to the kingdom of God. See, when the Bible talks about the throne of God, it's always a reference to His authority, His power, His rule, and His reign. And while there is no specific concrete written definition of the kingdom of God in the Bible, most biblical scholars would readily agree that when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it's talking about God's rule, His reign, His authority, and His power. And so what the psalmist is telling us here is that justice is at the very foundation of the kingdom of God. And if justice is at the foundation of the kingdom of God, then justice is at the leading edge of the mission of the church because as the church, we are God's kingdom representatives on earth. And that is why Dr. Cornell West so famously said, justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. And friends, I wanna finish with this thought today as we consider these two commands, that Paul the Apostle in his delegated apostolic authority from the Lord Jesus is giving to us to respond to and embrace. You know, for the last several weeks, we've been exploring and experiencing what it means to live out love, both through our messages and through all the initiatives that have been taking place across the month of May and the month of June. And we have been experiencing something of the heart of God by engaging in this conversation and participating in those initiatives. And you know, the beautiful thing about living out love in Jesus' name is that when we do, it brings the reality of God into sharp focus, in, into, into high definition, crystal clarity for people for them to see and for them to experience. I love the way John expresses this in 1 John 4 verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And here's the point. And His love is brought to full expression through us. Friends, how will the world know that God exists? How will they know that God is love? How will they know that He's kind and that He's compassionate and that He is just and that He is fair and that He cares about their daily need? John is telling us they will know because they will see God in us and they will receive God's love through us. And it is precisely that love that compels us to pursue justice on behalf of those who don't have the power or the privilege or the platform to do it for themselves and to do so by living and giving generously. And friends, that is what 
reach is all about. So I'm going to pray in a moment for all of us. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me. I'm going to pray for our Riverview family. And today we're going to put our hearts and our faith together in agreement and pray for all those around the world who we support and serve and come alongside through REACH and through the many initiatives and, and, and programs and projects and activities that we're a part of. And we're going to pray for God's intervention into their lives and circumstances. We're going to pray that God opens the windows of heaven over our lives. We're going to pray that God fulfills the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant that we indeed are blessed to be a blessing to the nations of the world. And then we're going to enter a time of worship. And as we enter into that time of worship together, I want to encourage you to do two things. I want to encourage you first and foremost to reaffirm your faith in God, your trust in our good God. I want you to take a moment, if you have put your faith and trust and hope and confidence anywhere else, to just simply acknowledge that and ask God to forgive you and say, God, today in this moment of worship, as I stand or sit or kneel before your throne, I am just choosing to put my faith and my confidence and my trust back in you and not on the systems or the structures or the peoples of this world. And allow Him to fill your heart with faith and confidence. And then secondly, I want you to open your heart to God and say, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me give? Where would you have me serve? What is it in my hand that you are asking me to offer in service of those who have been the victims of injustice in our world? And allow God by His Holy Spirit to move you and, and motivate you and inspire you by the compassion and the burden that He feels. Allow Him to replicate that inside of your heart and then get up and go and do what He guides you and leads you to do in Jesus' name. So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes and open your hearts as we take a moment to come before our Heavenly Father. God, we thank You so much today for the truth of Your Word. It is indeed a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I thank You, Father, for the way Your Word just confronts the reality of our hearts and our humanity and our inclination toward self-concern and self-preservation and all those things that so often keep us from being and doing all that You have called us to do and be. But we thank You, Lord, that Your truth is life, that Your words are life, and that with Your truth is this measure of grace that enables all of us to respond, to say, yes, Lord, Yes, Lord. And Father, I pray as each of us consider God in this moment where our trust lies and what it is You are asking us to do with our lives. I ask, Father, that You would speak so clearly that You would give direction and instruction. I pray for those feeling overwhelmed by perhaps fear or doubt or uncertainty over the future. I pray for deep peace and deep confidence to flood their hearts. God, for those who are looking to You for very specific um, provisions in their lives, I pray that You would give them the assurance that You have committed Yourself to being their provider and You will undertake for their every need. I pray that they would experience your rest and your peace. And Father, today with our hearts together in agreement, we lift before you all our project partners, our friends all across the world, both here in Perth and across the seas, who are loving and serving people in Jesus' Name, who are giving their lives, who are laying down their lives, Father, to love and serve the nations of the world. We pray for your blessing over them. We pray for peace in their hearts. We pray, God, for provision in their lives. We pray that they would want for nothing, but that they would be empowered supernaturally and miraculously to continue doing doing what You've called them to do in those parts of the world. And I pray, God, that You would give us the courage and the faith and the boldness and the selflessness to be part of the solution to that challenge. Father, we thank You so much for all that You've done, for all that You've given, for Your abundant provision in our lives. We bless You and honour You. Receive our worship now, we pray, from thankful hearts. In Jesus' Name. 
Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at riverviewchurch.com. And if you want any information about Riverview Church, you can find that at riverviewchurch.com.